When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. We are previewing Notre Dame versus Pittsburgh this weekend. Notre Dame 6-0 and ranked number 5 in the country. Pittsburgh 3-3. Three and three. After a big overtime win against Syracuse, showed a lot of resilience for a team that has been hammered by Penn State, was hammered at Central Florida. And really, guys, when you look at it, I mean, they have some pieces, and like O'Malley says... <laughs> That's good. They're a Power 5 team. They've got a couple good players, but they're they're a team really struggling right now to find its identity. You throw anybody else here, and I agree with the trap game letdown theory, but Pitt doesn't have much right now. And I know Pitt has a history of playing Notre Dame tight, um, the last game notwithstanding out there, where we probably referenced the history of them playing tight. But, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh is over the millennium, has played Notre Dame very well with lesser talent. They have much lesser talent. Uh, I don't like their coaching situation like I kind of thought I would when Pat Narduzzi went there. I did, too. I um, did, too. They don't have a lot. In the, in the summer, I rated this as the 11th hardest trouble spot. You know, when you're not just looking at talent, just spot on the schedule. No reason to change that now because uh, other than two teams and a ball on both sides makes things possible, Pete, I don't really see this one. Yeah, so you're saying that only Ball State yeah. was yeah. a worse on Notre Dame's schedule in Pittsburgh, and I, I would agree. I, I think this season... Despite how the Ball State game played out, I, I think all indications would be that you were dead on, and, and Notre Dame should cover a twenty-one point spread. I think with with little difficulty. Um, I, to me, the only way that it goes under that number is if it's sort of like it was in twenty fifteen, where Notre Dame blew them out. Yeah, and Pittsburgh scores a couple of touchdowns late against the backups. But I, mean, I think the Pittsburgh series has been notable to me at least because there's always been sort of a. A Ray Graham, LaShawn McCoy, Jonathan Baldwin. Your uh, first one was probably 2002, right? Or did you cover the one? Probably. Um, you had some good ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've always had – I think they've sort of reminded me a little bit of, like, those old Michigan State teams where it was like you had a Charles Rogers or a T.J. Duckett or Plaxico Burris, like some really high-end individuals, mm-hmm. but the team itself was just sort of spare parts. Um this team doesn't even have that, so it, it's hard for me to look at Pittsburgh now uh, and, and seriously consider this as like part of the the Notre Dame Pittsburgh series where the games would be tight, where it would be tense. You know, twenty twelve, I think that game was probably as as stressful that was a game um, that Notre Dame's played at home maybe since I've been on the beat. Um, yeah, it was something to lose to a team you cannot lose that something to. Right. Is what that game yeah. was. Yeah, uh, so I just I, I just don't see how Pittsburgh holds up in this kind of game. It, the, even the way they're constructed is poor as it relates to Notre Dame's strengths, the inability to keep Pickett, their quarterback, upright. I mean, he's been getting hit a lot. Uh, the inability to keep points down. I mean, they give up, I think they're at... 5.98 yards per play, that's 96 nationally, and they allow 32.8 points per game. That's 99th nationally, and it's not 
pretty much every instance where they've played somebody good, they've been blown out. Um, you know, 37 points in overtime to Syracuse, 45 points at Central Florida, 51 points at home to Penn State. So you look at these stats, I mean, they're they're inflated, and they're still bad by seven points against Albany, 19 points against Georgia Tech, and like even North Carolina, which is terrible, where they lost, they gave up 38. That's so a I, damning loss to Carolina. Right. You know, if this was <laughs> if, if this was the Notre Dame of the first three weeks where their offense was inefficient and couldn't move the ball, maybe this could be a ten point game, but it's not. This is the Notre Dame that has just run Wake Forest out of its own building, blown out Syracuse, and then put down Virginia Tech pretty badly in the second half because Ian Book is is too efficient and they're too accurate, I think, for a team like Pittsburgh to hang around. I disagree from the standpoint that I think Kadri Olson, their running back, is a pretty good back in a handful, and I and I think that he'll. Be, you don't think I'm, he's on that Graham, Shady McCoy, Dion Lewis? No, I'm not right. saying yeah, I'm not saying that, really but I, but I fully expect Notre Dame not to be at its mental best sure, this weekend. Sure. I mean, because that's natural. I'm not saying it's a letdown per se, but I don't think they're going to be on top of their game coming off of three great offensive performances and then, of course, you know, the emotions that you're dealing with in Stanford and and um, uh, Virginia Tech. Um, I think Kadri Allison's a good football player. I think DeMar Hamlin, their DB, is a good football player. I know that Quentin Warginis, their linebacker, is a good football player, but unfortunately for Pittsburgh, he blew out his knee on Tuesday, a non-contact injury and his loss for the season. And all he's doing is leading them in tackles, leading them in sacks, leading them in fumbles forced, leading them in what else? There's another category, I don't know, tackles for loss, whatever. He's a good football player. So I think there are a couple. And Kenny Pickett's a guy that if you give him time, but they're not giving him time. Right, right. And that's because it's a makeshift offensive line. From what I've seen of them, I mean, I'm, I kind of like their offensive line because it's it's undersized, it's light, and they're they're pretty active. But that's not going to get it done against Notre Dame's defensive line. So, um you know, I think Allison will break a run because Virginia Tech, uh, yeah, they, they Stephen Peoples broke right. a couple runs, and I think he will too. But over the course of 60 minutes, as long as Notre Dame doesn't completely lay an egg, which I don't expect them to do, um, it's going to be real difficult for Pittsburgh to compete. And emotionally, them losing their defensive leader on Tuesday, just after they're coming off yeah. a big win against Syracuse, you know, that gives them a little bit of life coming in Notre Dame saying, hey, our program's done this before. We can do this again, and then boom, they lose Virginis uh, with a non-contact injury. So um, that injury helps difficult. Dexter Williams in Notre Dame, no doubt it helps about it. Whoever's back there. Uh, the two things about the letdown, I think, one is minimal. It's probably good that Brian Kelly was able to mention. Look, they just beat Pitt's, uh, Syracuse team that's decent. Um, but number two, Notre Dame's had a major letdown that Brian Kelly can go back to and talk about. Look what happens when you don't have a good practice week. Look what happens when you. Yeah, but take, they they have had you the think letdown. They'll take that seriously. You think you think kids hearing that from their coach again? Oh, he's going to say that to us again. They really let down. Take game. it from somebody that knows <laughs> yes. what happens yeah. when kids tune you out. I get that, but no, I no, I I hear what you're saying. I agree. This is you feel a letdown coming though. Is what you're saying? I I just I don't no. I didn't say that. I I feel that Nordame not being at its I don't emotional. Mean a loss. I don't yeah, mean a loss. I don't. I, I feel them not being at their focused peak because I think it's really difficult to do that. But just to throw in a couple more negative stats about Pittsburgh, they're 95th in penalties. They had 14 against Penn State. Their head coach, Pittsburgh's head coach, got a unsportsmanlike conduct call 
in a game they lost 51 to 6. He's emotionally unstable. He ha- he is. That's like the Boston College. If, you, if you've seen Pat Narduzzi coach, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sp- I'm not I'm not speaking out of turn here. He is emotionally unstable in game situations. He just is. Again, yeah. speaking from somebody that knows what it's like <laughs> to be emotionally unstable in a game situation. I'm you know, done. Yeah. Aside from the linebacker blowing out his knee this week, the fact that you have a tight end who played a lot just quit the team after a win. Yeah, <laughs> in the middle so of the true. week, just after like, a win. You know what? I'm I'm out. Like Tyler <laughs> Sears' departure is not going to have much impact on the game, but I, I think it speaks to like where Pittsburgh is as a football program right now. It's just in a very unhealthy position. So. Who quits after a win? Yeah, so <laughs> is, Notre, is Notre Dame going to be in its emotional peak? No. Is Pittsburgh? Not even close. I mean, what, there's nothing about Pittsburgh that would make you think they would come in ready and focused uh, on Saturday, nor there's very little about Notre Dame that would make you think that it would be the case either. If you spend nine months getting ready for one game... Yeah, human, back-to-back games, really. Human I mean, nature is not going to allow you to be dialed in a week later against Pittsburgh at 2.30 in the afternoon, a team that hasn't beaten anybody or played well against anybody short of Syracuse last week, I guess. So it Notre Dame being in midterms I, I think is significant. And I, I, mean, I asked Brian Kelly about this on Tuesday, and he sort of gave this, probably exactly what he told the team exact, like verbatim. About like, hey, let's just rise to the challenge. Like, okay, I, I feel like that's how he felt when he got here in 2010. He's like, what's the problem with midterms? We didn't yeah, have this problem so before. you know, for just a case study, I asked Aloe Gilman, "What's your schedule like this week?" And he's like, "I heard, this. yeah, I got like three hours of sleep last night." So I have an exam every day. Yeah, so there's it's impossible for Notre Dame to be peaking on Saturday because its players are sleep deprived on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a that's a it's a failure to prepare not by choice, but by the fact there are only 24 hours in the day. So there's no way Notre Dame will be locked in and ready to go on Saturday. They're going to be exhausted. We had a lot of 2012 comparisons this week and I'm going to bring up another one cuz they played Pitt after uh Oklahoma. Right. That that wasn't midterms, but this was um kind of talking about avoiding a letdown. Everybody said, "Well, this team's, you know, you're going to read a lot about oh, this team's different, they're more focused." Those are, the, those are my favorite, by the way. This team's different. Why, sure they are. Yeah, they're, 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 not, they're undefeated. Whatever. They're not human? <laughs> yeah. But I'll never forget talking to Lewis Nix and Manti Teo after the Oklahoma win, Pitt Week. And the first thing Lewis Nix said was, that win doesn't mean, as Lewis used to use colorful yeah. language for us, because we can go out here and lay the bed against, or, or wet the bed against Pitt. He's like, we have to be up for Pittsburgh. This is ridiculous. You know, this is, what happens when you go out there? They could not have looked worse. I mean, yeah. the t- Lewis Nix is the opposite end of the pre- preparation spectrum for Manti Teo. And Lewis Nix is the one talking about how they can't have a letdown. And, of course, they had a massive one. Now, that team had a lot more to offer. That Pittsburgh team had a lot more to offer than this one does. Yeah. But the human nature aspect of it. So I do get what you guys are saying. They won't be at peak, as Pete says. Human nature is going to drop well, them. I get that. But there is not enough on the other side to take no, advantage of it. And, I mean, Nordheim's dealt with this. This, I mean, this isn't a new thing right, with the midterms right. and dealing with it. It's... <laughs> It's, These I mean, are their it's, first tests ever. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's virtually impossible not not to, to have a step back. But I, I think we all agree that Notre Dame's a better football team, and, and we'll prove that on Saturday. Want to get our predictions in here, Pete? Sure. I think so. A lot to a little. Uh, I think Notre Dame sort of 42-13 
I think it would be a comfortable game throughout. This this one, That's close. Yeah. the yeah, we the close. two minutes and thirteen seconds that Notre Dame has trailed the season will still be two minutes and thirteen seconds uh, by the time Notre Dame gets to the bye week on Saturday night. I'm in that forty one seventeen range. Um, never would I pick a. There's no spidey sense tingling on this one. Let me put it that way. All right, there's there's nothing makes me think in my gut that this is one of those weeks. And I'm usually the person that finds one of those reasons to f- look for a yeah. trap. I don't I don't see it now. After Navy, all bets are off for who's what could happen when you're net, when you have a letdown in those next three games. Yeah, but not this. I don't feel it in this game. So I'm in the 41-17. Notre Dame handles them much like they handled Wake Forest. Maybe they don't continue piling it on because Wake's defense was just horrid, has been proven since. Yeah. and uh, yeah, pretty easy win. I've been the the points for is 21. So I've been trying to come up with a score of a 20 point difference. And none of that makes sense <laughs> because yeah, forty to twenty. Because that, yeah, <laughs> that's right, about forty it, right? to twenty. Uh, but that, to me, that's short too many. Pa- that's too many points for for Pittsburgh. So if I say thirty three to thirteen, that's not enough points for the offense. So embrace uh, the cover. You can do it. I'm going to have to embrace the cover. I don't know what the number will end up being, but I'm going to have to decide that uh, fairly soon. And I think that Notre Dame will. Sputter maybe, sputter maybe at times. Maybe even have a look. Maybe even have a moment where you let down defensively because they have been so good. And, and uh, uh, a Kadri Allison long run, forty-five yard run for a touchdown, something like that. But sure, that, I mean it's like that gets you to seven points, right? And then, and then what? <laughs> yeah, I right. kind of saw a second touchdown. Maybe a, touchdown. a, fu- maybe a fumble by that. a running back because okay. they haven't fumbled in how many games, Tim? Uh, Fenway Park. Fenway Park. I haven't lost a fumble since Fenway Park. That's pretty amazing, and now it's been said out loud, and so that's bad. But uh, no, we've said we yeah. talked about that before. All right, we we have a bunch of questions and a little bit more Pittsburgh talk when we come back for segment two. Katanzarit Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially, including retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Katanzarit Financial Services also leads retirement planning classes in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana. Log on to contangeritefinancialservices.com. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, burning up the boards. Our first question from CT Irish 08. Taking out Dexter Williams' long TD run from Saturday, the running game was averaging less than three yards per carry. While I get that we can't discount the big TD run, snapping off a 97-yarder can do wonders for the stats. I'm, I guess I'm curious what your confidence level is in the running game moving into the second half of the season. I still have my doubts without Alex Bars anchoring the left side. I think all that all that's fair. Um, I I have some doubts about the running game heading into the second half of the season. I don't think that those doubts are going to be uh, confirmed or denied over the next couple weeks against Navy and Pittsburgh. But I, I think Notre Dame's running game will probably just be pretty good the rest of the way. Um, they'll they'll have some off. Games though, and if, the, if that happens at the wrong time, then maybe they would be in be in some trouble. But it's certainly not going to come close to what they were last year. There's three games um, where they will have a good running attack: Pittsburgh, Navy, and Syracuse. Because Syracuse can't stop the run, as Pitt showed. Um, but of course, you got to score against Syracuse. The other three, hey, I, I think they'll miss Alex Bars against Navy, Florida State, and USC at times because Alex Bars was there. Wherever you want to place him with Ian Book and Dexter Williams involved, first, second, or third best offensive football player. Clearly the best lineman. But I, I have a long answer to this one, too, because I've come around a long way on this one. The way the game is played now, there are more stuffs. And against Notre Dame, 
the way the offense, the way defenses are going to play Notre Dame and good running teams. So in 2015, I was like, why does Notre Dame get stuffed, but they have a great running game? So I went and started looking at their opponent that year, Ohio State, who had a decent running back in the name of Ezekiel Elliott and a pretty good offensive line. Took a random close game. They played Indiana and had 60 snaps, 34 runs. They were stuffed on 21 of their 34 runs, Ohio State. And Ezekiel Elliott ran for 275 yards <laughs> on the other 13 runs. Because team, when I say teams play like this, Brian Kelly referenced it. If you're playing up and you have at some point Virginia Tech – for about a quarter and a half, had 10 sets of feet within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. You are not going to run all that well unless you have Quentin Nelson, Alex Bars, Mike McGlinchey, and everybody else. So it is about breaking runs now, and they have two guys that can do it, along with Jafar Armstrong. I would say that even with Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, when there are eight guys in a box, you're not going to run it successfully, at least not consistently. It's just the way the game is. Virginia Tech came into the Nordame game ranked fourth in the country in, in rushing defense, and that's because... They consistently overloaded the line of scrimmage, and it's difficult to run against that. So you'll I mean, see that, more of it, right? You have yeah, to, you have to but, overload the line of scrimmage. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, but but what CT Irish is pointing out is, I think we're all in in agreement that, yeah, I mean, Alex Bars is, uh, I you know, I feel great about everything moving forward except Alex Bars is out. Yeah, I think Dexter's huge here because obviously with Jafar well, Armstrong Nick, out, nickel defense too, but sure with Jafar Armstrong out. I would be super concerned about Notre Dame's rushing attack without Dexter Williams in the fold. They would, oh, for sure. They would have so many problems. Look, Tony Jones had that really good day, but he's still not breaking off the runs Dexter's breaking off. And you need the long runs if you're going to get stuffed half the time. Yeah, and that's like Dexter Williams' performance against Stanford was outstanding, really like one of the great efficient rushing performances yeah. since Brian Kelly's been here. His performance against Virginia Tech was basically two runs. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't a keep-ahead-of-the-chains type performance. So... I, th- I think that's the Virginia Tech performance is probably going to be more of the norm against good teams than the Stanford performance. But what Notre Dame scored forty points against Virginia Tech. You know, there was a yeah. defensive touchdown thrown in there. But if Brandon Wimbush was the quarterback, you'd be super worried about the running game right now. Uh, yeah, but it's, that's not the case what, anymore. I mean, I think one interesting thing. So as I go through and track rushing efficiency, the, the most efficient rusher on the team is actually Ian Book. Which is not to say that he's the most explosive rusher right. on the team, but when it's first and 10, he'll get you five yards mm-hmm. and stay ahead of the game. He won't get you 15 and get you another first down. Um, you know, he can sneak it, as he did against Virginia Tech. But they'll they'll be okay with sort of this rushing approach, I think. I, I but it's not going to be like <laughs> last year. What, uh, last thing here. You said Navy, Florida State, and USC, they need they would need Alex Barts. I no, say... Um, Northwestern, Florida State, and USC. They don't name against Navy as well. Oh, I thought you said I thought you said Navy. Yeah. Okay, never yeah. mind. Next question at Ari Ari Norrell the third. Bobby Norrell. Julian Love is the best corner Notre Dame has had since. Just wrote, a, just wrote a story about that this week. Uh, Shane Walton. Shane Walton, his senior year, his fifth year senior, actually was third in the country for the Bronco Nagurski Award. A guy named Terrell Suggs won it. He's a pretty good football player for a long time. Uh, Shane Walton, first team All-American, and you think, and Pete, you kind of mentioned you only have one good year, so by going back, I saw how good Shane Walton really was. He played three more games than Love has at this point. These are Shane Walton's stats. 11 interceptions, three touchdowns, two forced fumbles, a block kick, a fumble recovery, 14 tackles for loss, and 27 passes defended. Think about that. 14 tackles for loss, and yet 27 27 passes passes defended. defended. So that is an all-around player, and Julian Love is an all-around player, too. I mean, I'm not going to say who's better, who's... Julian Love has more time. Julian Love is a football genius, too, and I want to lead that into Pete's 
point about a certain play against Pittsburgh, and you see this once in a while with other yeah, teams. Yeah, the Virginia Tech, it was, uh, it was the second half, and I think, it, I think it was third down, and Ryan Willis just sort of throws this back shoulder fade that's, like, overthrown. But, like, love is all over it, and you're... He, he basically he, picks it out of bounds. Yeah, right? he wasn't credited with a pass breaker for some reason because I guess he went out of bounds on it. But you're just like, it, it reminded me of Manti Teo in 2012 when anybody would try to run those tunnel screens to the inside. He would just sniff them out immediately. Do like, some film work. <laughs> it's like there was no point in running those plays. And I think that throwing that kind of pass against Julian Love is to the point where if Pittsburgh comes out and runs it, and after the game, Nardizio is like, "Well, that's what we do. That's what we run offensive." Like, then you're an idiot because <laughs> there's no point in doing that so against he's, Julian. So Love. he's emotionally unstable and an idiot. <laughs> and an idiot. Well, I mean, I believe in 2015 he came out and was like, "This is the way we run our coverages," and I was like, "Well, Will Fuller had three touchdowns. Like, what does that say?" I was like, "I don't know. This is our. This is the way we run our stuff." Like, <laughs> kind of like Brian Kelly saying uh, when he threw the when Tommy Reese threw the yeah, interception against it. Tulsa. It just doesn't make any sense. So, <laughs> Julian Love is that good of a player where if he's not affecting your game plan as an offensive coordinator, you're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Just like Shane Walton. So, let's say, oh yeah. Uh, so, after, I mean, my lifetime of watching, you're basically looking at Todd Light, Bobby Taylor, Tom Carter, Julian Love, and Shane Walton. Shane Walton. But Julian Love, it's been since 2002 since I would put anybody in those four, the category of those guys, and now Julian uh, Julian Love is in there. It's good that you brought up Shane Walton because I think that fans have uh, sort of an inclination to like skip over the guys as all-time greats if they didn't have success in the pros. Right, right. Shane Walton did not. Uh, but yeah, the numbers exactly the college up Julian Love and Shane Walton being a great player comparison. Great college players. Just I don't know what Julian Love will be in the pros, but he's a great college player. Now Todd Light, Bobby Taylor, and Tom Carter had a lot were first-round picks. They too, did. And, you know, they were great players and, in the pros. Yeah, I mean Julian Love's. Speed in the forty is probably not going to be great if whenever he leaves this year or next year, and that you know in, in today's NFL game, you go to the combine and you run a four five. I'm not. I don't know what he's going to run, but you run slow time. Chances are you you aren't going to get picked high. But not to get into an entire Julian Love pro conversation here, but a uh, team is going to get Julian Love in their camp, and they're going to be like, why is this guy the best defensive player we have in our right. camp? Oh, no doubt. He's just a no football doubt. player. He will, rise, he will rise above that yeah. because he has such great football instincts. And I wasn't born to watch Luther Bradley, so we don't get a lot of did. I did, right I did No, I did no. see Luther Bradley. He was great. Clarence Ellis, I was a lot younger then, but I know he was great. Uh, I, but, in, I interviewed Brian Kelly in summer of 2016, and Luther Bradley was in the office. Happened to be walking through there, and he looks like Luther Bradley did in the pictures from 1973. And <laughs> Brian Kelly said, I won't quote him because it was colorful. He's like, did you see Luther Bradley walk through there? And I was like, I cannot believe that that man <laughs> was 21 years old when I was born because he looks, he's in better shape than anybody walking through the office, yeah, I think. That that's was amazing. quite a thing. Air Pirate 73. Coach Kelly has mentioned our nickel being a work in progress. With Houston Griffith playing maybe his best game against Virginia Tech, do you anticipate him being the go-to nickel for the rest of the season? I like the job he's doing, by the way. He is the go-to nickel. Yeah. He has been, yeah, I mean, basically since the, I don't know. After second Ball State, against. right? Yeah. yeah. You saw him uh, come out in that game, the Ball he, State game. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been pulled the last two games as, as the nickelback due to performance type stuff. Um, and I, I don't know if, Maybe he was technically pulled against Wake Forest as well. And then Nick Coleman came in, who then was also pulled. It just, I just don't think they have great options right there. Um, Houston Griffith is the highest upside guy. I asked Olohi Gilman about this a little bit, and he said, "Yeah, the Nichols, the nickel defense is something that needs to be improved." Um, Which is he, sad because the pass rush is the best nickel pass rush they've had. 
Yeah. But it, you think about that. That's true. But it, I think they're in a position where Houston Griffith doesn't necessarily know all the angles to take and the shades to play and all that. Yeah. And that, that is, there's a certain amount of naturalness that Sean Crawford had that Houston Griffith doesn't, and most people don't. There was a, I don't know, like a 20-yard reception sideline in front of Virginia Tech where, he w- where uh, Ryan Willis was under pressure. And yes, the receiver, I assume it was Hazleton, I don't know. He was he was a receiver on everything. I, but he peeled off away from Griffith. Griffith didn't react. And they completed. You talk about Pete, you talk about, or Tim, you talk about, you know, the best nickel pass rush they've had. And they had it there. And he, he didn't react properly. However, he did make two significant plays. Yeah, he did. Along with the other freshman that I mentioned and Jameer Jones. Uh, which is progress, but he tends to balance that with a with a bad play. Which, from a coaching staff standpoint, you know they're not sitting around saying, "Wow, look at these two great plays they made." They're pointing to the ones that he didn't make. I think he's made a couple athletic plays where he's made tackles on third and long, where he just looked really fast chasing the guy <clears throat> yes. across the field. And I think part of that might go to this point. He was in man coverage. His man started crossing from the slot to the other sideline. He knew to chase him. He chased him down. I think he can handle that stuff. It's the savvy receiver. That will give him problems and routes for probably the rest of the year. That's you know, just the way this is. is just yeah. what happens with freshmen who are playing a lot. All right, Will Conley and Brian Swint sort of a combination question of the freshmen whose level of play. Who are you most surprised by? Who do you expect to see more of? And then also, which true freshman do you expect to make the biggest impact the rest of the year? I guess the I'm most surprised by, even though it was in mop up time, was I mean, Jason Adamolola <laughs> just looked like he was making. No, Justin. You I'm mean, sorry, Justin yeah. Adamolola was making plays. I didn't I didn't expect him to play at all this year. He I did see his third tackle you talked about. All three of them were stuffs. They were great. They were all second time They were all second down stuffs. He's obviously was coming in and is a backup role in that package. He fought off blocks. I mean, it wasn't like um, the typical engage and throw, but he kept his feet moving and really just looked like he knew what he was doing out there. Mm -hmm. So that's the lower, you know, he's playing because they needed him. They were down Dalen Hayes. They were up by a lot. But that's the kind of that end of the roster surprise. And uh, I think that's important because it means more next year. Or yeah, in two I, years especially. I, I you know, I think he's he's better than any of us anticipated. I think he's better than the coaching staff anticipated. Um and he's been called into play here because Ogun had to shift to the weak side. Um no, well, no, he did play weak side. Yeah, he did play some weak side. Just so. without Dalen Hayes, he was called. Without Dalen Hayes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's been I think he's been really impressive up to uh, it's certainly very impressive. Think about the magnitude of the game that he was playing in. Yeah, that wasn't the end of the wake game. Right. That, that, there I was mean, still the some magnitude stuff going on. of the situation that he was in. And again, great credit to great credit to Mike Elko last year and Clark Lee this year and Mike Elson. They 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 throw those guys in there at times when and I'm like, really? But but let's <laughs> do Jameer Jones. Yeah, started the second half. He did start the second half, and I, I don't think Jameer Jones is. I mean, he, we talked about it on Monday. He's a hold the point of attack yeah. kind of guy, but he's a play hard guy, and he chased a guy. He got a quarterback pressure in there and chased. Um, What's about your you're, other you're side? Talking about, about Jameer Jones. Uh, yeah, it's Virginia Tech. Yeah, yes. I mean, he played fifty snaps. That's, he played it. Yeah, yeah was, I mean, that's amazing. They didn't have any options. Like they had to put somebody in the game. I guess once they lost to Quora, he had to get a lot yeah. of second Yeah, snaps. I mean, yeah. he started on the dime set. But like the freshman, I, I would agree. I think Justin Adam Malone has been kind of a pleasant surprise. And it's not like he's played twenty four snaps all year. Yeah, so I don't it's recent. It's a recent flash. Though. It's a recent flash. Um, and uh, you know, he I, made okay. He made a play at the end of Wake Forest, and then he played really well against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at the end of the game, yeah. he was mm-hmm. in there. Um, 
the game, I mean, the game had been decided, but like the game is still going on. Yeah. I mean, you can make a play or you can get run over. And I, and think it's a, I think it's a technique thing, too. Like when, when I quote overreacted to Ian Book against Wake Forest, no, it was how he played the position. The plays that Justin Amalola made against Virginia Tech were really, really technical. He didn't sound. fall into those stuffs. He made the plays. Right, That's kind of how it was I think it that, um, you know, maybe I thought, I, no, I, not maybe. I definitely thought Kevin Austin yeah. would be a little bit more in the rotation than he has been so far. Um, you know, but I think a lot of that is is Miles Boykin related. He's stuck behind a guy who's playing the best football that he's ever played. So, yeah, you, and you're not you taking the other two off either. You don't take him off the field. It's the same way, like. In 2015, we asked a lot of questions like, why isn't St. Brown playing more? And we're like, well, he's stuck behind Will Fuller. What do you want me to do? Um, so I think that's, the same thing holds true there. I think Austin is, I mean, if he gets to 10 snaps, if he gets to five snaps in a game, that is actually a lot for him, um, which is not, I, I thought he'd be more of a 10-snap type player. I did too. Especially, after, especially after Wake Forest. Yeah, and he's, he's not even going to come close to that. Um, you know, I think that the name that universally for Notre Dame fans comes to mind is Derek Allen. They're surprised that he's not playing. Sure. They're shocked that he didn't make the trip last week. And I don't know what to say other than, like, somebody asked me, why is... Why is Aaron Banks ahead of Josh Lugg? Well, what are the components of playing quality offensive line play? Insert that. Insert those in there, and that's why Aaron Banks yeah. is is playing. A, obviously, he's playing the position better. And Derek Allen, you know, I think there are some concerns about physical conditioning. Is he is he a rover and not a safety? I don't know. It's just not at this stage of his football career. He's not making any inroads against some pretty stiff competition. I mean, they, they do not rotate the safeties at all. So I mean, like special def- teams is where we think Allen might have played right? right at this point. I you know is that but is that like a huge surprise that one freshman didn't play on special teams? Not really. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence Keys isn't playing. Braden Lindsay isn't playing. I mean, in some ways, if you said. The surprise that this guy's not factoring on special teams, I'd probably be more surprised that Keys and Lindsey aren't didn't get any looks on mm-hmm. like kickoff return uh, or something like that. So, it, yeah, I guess Derek Allen would is a slight surprise that he's probably going to end up taking like a hard old school red shirt, not playing at all. Um, you know, maybe maybe they're saving him for special teams in November. I, I don't know. So they they make sure it's under four games the same way. Like I was surprised Paul Moala was on the field yeah. on Saturday yeah. night. But maybe they just have flights of freshmen that, like, okay, you're the October group. You're the November group. You're the September group. So we make sure that we redshirt as many yeah, as possible. Com- completely different dynamics in evaluating for coaches because of the, the redshirt rules. So I think they're all – I think we are, and certainly a coaching staff is all kind of learning on the fly. How do we – how do you balance this out? You, Tim did a story the other day about – um, you know the guys that have mm-hmm. played in all six games, and nobody's played in three or four. Yeah. And you have a, bu- you there's, have a that, bunch there's that room to get those one and two guys right, in. Right, exactly. Still. Some exactly. will not. Obviously, so we're all uh, we we uh, as followers and coaching staff are all trying to figure it out as they go along. Because I think other coaching staffs are all doing it differently, and it's a great postseason question when all the games have been played. What was your plan with the freshmen? How did you decide to? Pete, you mentioned waves. Yeah. What if they're doing that? Like. Now, Virginia Tech would seem to be like one of the big waves <laughs> to get a guy in that's good. Paul Mall started on special teams against Virginia Tech, so he had shown something. That wasn't, we need a freshman. Yeah. We and need a freshman is against Navy or yeah. at the end of the game against Pitt. So that's far, a great question. As far as freshmen making biggest impact moving forward, I, if you're looking for a different name, I, you know, I mean, Houston Griffith is probably the freshman that's going to make the biggest impact moving forward. Agreed? 
Uh, for his career, probably. I mean, I, I think I, this year he. Means. I feel like. Oh, uh, yeah, no, this no, I mean, oh, this, for, I, yeah, for I'm just looking at this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't even know who the other yeah. candidate would yeah. be. Okay, at Sarge one hundred three, who what has been the biggest surprise on defense? One, Jalen Elliott. Two, the pass rush. Or three, lack of nickel. And then I have an off a similar offensive question. Not. We like the pass rush coming in. That's why I changed from eight wins to nine. Thank goodness. Uh, and then three, not lack of nickel production. As soon as Sean Crawford got hurt, we outlined this is a big, big loss, and someone called him a backup corner, and that person was wrong. So, a, so Dylan Elliott's so a bigger Jaylen surprise. Elliott. He still has busts, though, like run fit busts where he looks. Yeah. Um, but he's had a he's had a much, much better year than he had last way, year. It's way, not even way close. Better, way yeah. better than his, I could. Yeah, I mean, his tackling is, is a little bit suspect, but... How many times last year did he make a play on the ball? You can't remember him. I can't remember no. one. At Virginia Tech, I feel like there were like three or he four. He had yeah. two. Between him and Coleman, they had five passes defense. That's yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. Did, I mean, I, this isn't any great revelation, but I said right at the beginning of the year, the leading tacklers are going to be Coney, Tranquil, and the two safeties, and it's it's proving out that way. Yeah, Elliott really had I mean, his pass coverage is remarkably. Remember the Michigan game? They had the hit of the day. Yep. He's had some. He's had some I, good moments. I I am. I use this word a lot, but I am astonished at how much better he is. I mean, just think about. I mean, you can talk about okay, he misses some run fits now, but he is astonishingly better than he was last year. Uh, the second part of the question is uh, biggest surprise offense. But books meteoric arise. Number two, running back group not missing a beat. Number three, hit and miss O line. Book, book. <laughs> Book's meteoric rise. I mean, it's not That's even the biggest surprise in the program. Close yeah. to what I thought. It was. I thought he was an efficient again. I, again, the level of play yeah. has to be surprising to the coaching staff to some extent. He's been uh, added to it. Is, not it is it surprising. Is. Well, I mean, like, but yeah. I'm saying that because Brian Kelly, you know, and I get it. Head coaches aren't surprised by many things because they're with them every day. But like, think about the conversations we had with people in the Google in the summer about Ian Book. No, I not even close to what's I, happening. I hear you because not it, even because close. it was always mentioned that well, why didn't he replace Wimbush? Because he was making the same mistakes in practice. And, and there, yeah, I mean, I had somebody tell me it's like they were disappointed that he hadn't like you know locked into the weight room a little bit better. The physical conditioning was like a little iffy. I mean, what you're watching now, I, he's a player. He's been added I, to the Player of the Year candidates list. Yeah, I don't. This the is, official Chuck Benaric list. It is really one of the, I mean, it has to, a, a better question would be like, where does Ian Book rank among the in-season surprises you've ever witnessed? Yeah, no, um, that's true. Because it's, I mean, it, if if it continues at the pace that it's on, right. which is a 12-0 and 0 pace, it would have to rank probably number one. Would it not? Yes. 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 I, okay. I Yes. He's, I mean, he's been out of this world. There, the the perception of Nord of the 2018 Nordian football team has changed. I mean, it, somebody said, "Man, they're fun to watch." I, you didn't say that three weeks ago. <laughs> no, they were all, they were <laughs> a bad awful product. Watch. I wrote a story after the third game. My column was about this: is what you have. You better get used to the struggle of right. winning games 24-17 when Brandon Wimbush is in there. And it, I wasn't hinting that Ian Book was going to change it and win by fifty. I just meant this is what you have. They would have lost. One, if not two games, yeah, no because doubt. you can't play every game close. Now they're not going to play anything close. They're going <laughs> to kill everyone, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Torque Mata 121. I, am I worried about losing both Clark Lee and Chip Long after the season, and should I be? Um, I don't think Clark don't Lee will think, leave. After yeah, the I don't think yet. I clearly think that Clark Lee's the will prove to be a really, really good 
candidate and will go in fairly short order. I don't think that's going to happen. He won't do a one year this out. year. He's I not the type. Think. He's not the type to do a one year and out. He well, was hired. Who would hire for, him? He was. Like, I'm just saying. Let's say he gets a good offer. He was hired to no, do he this. He could get a Mac offer. He get a Mac offer. But he, he was hired. Impre- to, no, I mean I, that's why I'm saying I don't think it'll happen because yeah. he's only been a coordinator for one year. Yeah. I'm saying he would not take the Mac offer after one year. He You're interviewed right, he with Kelly and saved this position and kept everything intact. And he is not the type of, of guy to jump at a Mac offer. Now, if Alabama says come be our defensive coordinator is different than, or if a top school says be our head coach. You leave for the sake of your career. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think he'll do what Elko did. No, he, that's my point. He's not doing one of those. Do moves. you think that would happen? I mean, he went to Wake Forest for one year and then went to Notre Dame. But he wasn't. Co- it wasn't coordinator. Coordinator. There's a but di- it was linebacker. Linebacker. But the difference. But, in, but he was following Elko. I mean, I can. I, you but know, it was Wake Forest and Notre was, Dame. He was offered but, but, the DC <laughs> position at Wake, but it's turned Wake it down Forest. to go to Notre Dame. Oh, but it's be a position true. Coach. That is true. But it's Wake Forest and Notre Dame. I agree. Like this isn't Notre Dame and the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it's I mean, like even though what I just even though that fact would indicate maybe he would leave after one year, I don't think the conditions currently would right. lend him to leaving after one year. He's like. He's a Notre Dame fan. He likes it here. This is a good spot for him. You talk to anybody who's worked with him, played with him, coached with him. They're like, he needs to be at Notre Dame, Northwestern, Stanford, Duke, Vanderbilt, one of those schools. So it's, I mean, if Vanderbilt dumped Derek Mason, which they're probably not going to do, then if Vanderbilt offered him the job, buy, go, have like go back to your alma mater. That would be a great fit for him. Um, but I think I cry for a week. A power a power five school is not going to offer their head coaching position. A thirty six year old coordinator. One coordinator. Year <laughs> That's not happening. Um, yeah. You know, it's, there are there are not very many good head coaching jobs in college football. I, th- I think that's something that uh, this this guy should probably keep in mind. There's a scarcity of jobs, and there's uh, wh- there's a pretty big supply of accomplished coordinators that would be qualified for them at a higher level than, than Clark Lee would be. So you don't have to worry about this year? I don't think either of these guys will make lateral moves. I agree, No, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I don't think that Clark Lee is, and Clark Lee probably will be, if, you know, Texas A&M may have started a trend, you know, with, with I mean, like, you know, offering uh, just – Keep offering till you get the guy. Like what? Let's let's see. What's Oklahoma going to do after the year? I think we well, all know Bob, from the Bob, new Twitter picture. Bob on his staff. <laughs> Have you seen that profile pic? If I if I was Oklahoma, like I would probably put a call out to Clark Lee and be like, "Hey, how about uh, how about one point seven five? We'd be interested in that." And th- I mean, that would be that would at least make you think about it, right? It would. Uh, but at thirty six, I just don't. I just don't think Clark Lee would do that. That's my point of Clark Lee. I, I, just, I think they can. Like, I would conditions. like Notre Dame to go to go. Yeah, how about one point seven five? Done. <laughs> I agree with that too. That's that. That would be nice to see. You'll how about never... Bob Diaco's new Twitter pic? If you guys have not seen that, Pete, you said it's his first tweet. Freaked me out. <laughs> it's his first tweet in more than a year. Yes, and it's a self Twitter pic. <laughs> I, I didn't know I had Bob Diaco on mobile alerts on Twitter you, you until saw, yesterday. You saw it. You went ah. <laughs> yeah. It's like whoa. <laughs> All right, moving on. (laughs) Legacy 55. In years past, we've seen quarterbacks have success in their first year utilizing a conservative approach only to regress in year two. I assume he's talking about Notre Dame quarterbacks. Yes. Do you feel Ian Book's apparent mastery of the offense, specifically his ability to use the entire playbook, will provide some immunity to this trend? Probably. I mean, it probably will. I I can't say for certain. Um, You know, is is he going to have... 
Boykin and Mack next year? Probably not. It'll probably just be Claypool and Komet. And Fink. And then, yeah, Fink will be back. Yep. And then you'd work probably Austin in the mix. I mean, it's a, I think this is a group of skill position players that sort of developed uh, during the course of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I think to expect to go back and say, like, well, these guys were this good all the time and Brandon Wimbush was holding them back, I think is uh, not true. I think the, the receivers at tight ends have approved during the year, too. But, you know, next year, Dexter Williams won't be here, so Mack won't be here. Boykin won't, probably won't be here either. It, um, Jafar Armstrong will, and the rest of the guys probably will. It would be shocking to lose the other guys. At this yeah, point. I just, I don't know. I, I've, I feel like Book is going to be what we've seen the last yeah, few weeks, probably for the next two and a half years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, I think we should remember that Deshaun Kaiser and from yeah, one year a, from one year to the next was not the same quarterback. There's a lot of partly, holes in that team, though. At right? That time. No, no doubt, and partly because of him, because he didn't come back in great shape. But you know, I still contend that that the the transition at receiver there was really, really significant, and and that played a role. Will it be yeah. a significant you know next year if they lose well, Boykin a, and not look, compared to Fuller? Why, that was look at no, that. Yeah, yes. put 2019 in terms of 2016 at receivers, where okay, you're going to subtract. Your top three receivers. One of them's an awesome All-American. Then the leading guy you expect to come back gets hurt in the first game with a concussion and is never the same the rest of the year. Um, and then all you guys you lost defensively too, which your, plays a role. Your in top it. running back is out of here in pro size. I mean, I, would you expect Ian Book to come in and be just as good next year under those circumstances? Probably not. No, no. But Notre Dame shouldn't be hit with those circumstances. I would agree. We had we did have one question that I didn't include, and it was under the assumption that they're going to be good again next year. As long as not as long as it's not weird defensive um, defections, like all of them, all the people that could go go. That's yeah, but, when it hurts. You know, the, every junior that's up. The I know, leaves. but man, you you take you take Coney Tranquil and Tillery out of the equation immediately, and. Yeah, the linebackers. That, is the, that is the that is the heart of your defense right there. Look, Tillery could be. The MVP as of right now, because of everything he does for the guys around him and behind him, but it still hurts more to lose Coney and Tranquil because of what you have behind them next year. I can't, yeah. I can't believe so you, how good Jerry Tillery is. Yeah, imagining Notre Dame's defense down: Tillery, Tranquil, Coney, maybe Kali Kareem goes pro, maybe Julia Love. Love. Yeah, right. Yeah, you can't have those guys go. So pro, I'm basically. not. You know, I I don't. The losses after the 2015 season. Yeah. On both sides of the football, were so incredibly significant. I don't know that they'll be quite as significant this year, but it's going to be significant. Anyway, we're getting into next year, and I have no desire to talk about next year when they're six and zero. Da Dixon four hundred eight. How is Pittsburgh twenty eighth in rushing with a left tackle grad transfer from Kent State, a left guard converted from the D line, a center that was a walk on. Part-time D lineman playing right guard and a right tackle who spent most of his career at right guard. I don't know. you got to get your yard somehow, I guess. I, I think Allison has a lot to yeah. do with it. They had a good really day against Syracuse. They had a really good day against Syracuse. They were shut down by Central Florida and Penn State. Yeah. They played in, who else did they play? Albany. North, Albany. I mean, North Carolina is one of the worst programs in college sports right now, and they lost to them. So maybe they got some rushing yards. This this is not a their, – their rushing attack is better than their passing attack, if that's the point here. I think they're I think they're mobile and active, and they have some quickness in that. Probably well coached offensive that line helps them. Dave, yeah. I didn't realize it. Did you know Dave Borbley is their offensive yeah, line coach? Yeah, that's, that's a uh, that helps. I mean, 
part of it is who you play. Part of it is Pete said you got to get yards somehow, and probably well coached offensive line. And I mean, they had they're listening to their coaching. They basically had a hundred yards against Central Florida. You know, they put up almost three hundred against Syracuse. Albany doesn't even really count. I don't even when I preview. I this. don't even. Yeah. Who cares about Penn State? They lost by forty five right, points. Right. It doesn't it's, matter how many yards did you they had. did. They get some. I mean, I, I don't know. Allison had one hundred nineteen yards against Penn State. Okay. And which was totally irrelevant to the outcome right. of the game. But see, he'll he'll probably he could very well do something like that against Notre Dame, but it probably won't be enough. JC, uh, at JC Soup Forty, Pittsburgh just lost their best defensive player. Do you think it will change Pitt's defensive game plan? And what should Indy do to exploit the replacement? As we talked about, not much changes Pitt's defensive game plan, including getting shredded by the best player on the other team. So I don't think it will change their game plan. Uh, and what Notre Dame should do to exploit it is what they've done since Ian Book came in, and Tim has pointed out. The hot receiver, the receiver he likes, is the open man. The running back that is running well is the yeah. guy that gets the ball, and Notre Dame will just go play football and kill Pitt's defense if they're dialed in. I mean, if you want to isolate a, somebody on a, the new linebacker, okay, go ahead. Just but hand I mean, off to Dexter just, Williams. Yeah. <laughs> My play worked. By the way, I've been yeah. talking about that for a year and a half. The ha- just hand the ball. Hand the ball off to Dexter and have him go right or left. He went 97 <laughs> yards. It's that simple. <laughs> after going minus three. After going for minus, well, you should have gone left. You wanted to get the longest run in Lane Stadium. <laughs> You got to put some work into that. I yeah, I don't know. It Pitt's defensive game plan is is going to be a struggle anyway. I don't think this makes much of a difference in the in the overall outcome. It makes a difference for the. I mean, he would have made some plays. Is what Can I would you, say. Like, Pittsburgh had to freak out when it happened yeah, Tuesday at yeah. practice. Can you get some like misdirection to take advantage of young linebackers? Probably, yeah. but. Maybe okay, a player so it's fifty-six yeah. to ten instead of forty-two. A play here, a play there, but you just you you. You play Nordame's offense. Just don't worry about it. Just play Nordame's offense. I mean, it's from the think about next year. All right, what well, is Pitts like? Imagine Nordame's defense if Kayvon Coney hurt his knee on Tuesday. They can't change their game plan though. Within, right in the week, you just got to go play football. I mean, that's yeah. just not as well. No, right, you just play it poorly. <laughs> I'm going to ask this because I don't know how to answer it. Uh, from at Nordame Football Diddies, how much better would Pittsburgh be if they had four dip cuts? <laughs> Are they mini dip cuts or full size dip cuts? Because that matters. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't specified. No, mini dip cuts didn't. is what matters yeah. here. <laughs> I, th- I think they would have a toughness edge upgrade with four Dickas. I don't think any one of the four Dickas would be the tight end quitting during the middle of the week. No, because he wasn't getting the ball enough. No, in that couple, Dicka quits. In in that couple, Dicka would not quit. A couple of those tight ends would be converted to like interior defensive linemen. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last one, BL Casper. Pittsburgh doesn't scare me in and of itself, but with two straight weeks of primetime ranked opponents, fall break, and midterms, how is this not a trap game, or is Northwestern really the trap game? This is the trap game. It just doesn't matter. We've gone over that. <laughs> They're just I really look. Okay. would have to play. Ian Buck has to get hurt, and and all of this has to happen for this to be the trap game. Yes, to the last question. Northwestern really. Well, you can have game. more than one trap game, right? There's all November when you're undefeated as a trap game. There's a problem, man. Other than USC, those are all games you should win. That you're going to be favored by double digits in. That you are the only team on the field playing for something incredibly important. Can you, uh, let's just say that. That's awful. Florida State (laughs) revived a little bit against Miami, but they lost, which is completely demoralizing for a program of that magnitude. Yeah. Let's say they continue to struggle. Can, I mean, can they come into Nordame Stadium and the Nordame players actually overlook a Florida State? No. That's the thing about Florida State. You, brand name. Yeah, the brand name, and and they have enough highlights to put on that screen. From last year, if they have to, they, not that the players could know that yeah. they can put up in the film room and say, "Look at this guy." It's like, hey, there's I mean, a reason have... nobody overlooks bad Notre Dame teams. 
Yeah. Like Notre Dame is, has never been like, oh, Notre Dame, that's our trap game. Nobody ever right. says that. And they won't. That's now, Syracuse. I mean, you could. Syracuse is. Yeah, they're saying. Now that they lost. Now that they lost. Because it, it, it's not oh, a trap. Yeah. Like, Undefeated or one loss. It's not a Syracuse trap game if they beat Clemson or almost beat Clemson. But when they lose to Pittsburgh, right. then, okay, now it now you look at them again a little bit differently. I tried to explain the Shamrock series to my five-year-old Tate yesterday. He was not getting it at all. <laughs> what what <laughs> aspect of it? All of it. Like, they're playing baseball, but they're football. I don't... He's just <laughs> totally lost. Did, did he drop a, why don't they just play here? Well, it's <laughs> like, we're, he was somehow like, there's a picture on my... Well, why'd they give up a home game? The helmets? Like, what? That is, why are they wearing those helmets? <laughs> Imagine all the complexities for a five-year-old to consider. I don't think Notre Dame's own coaches quite understand the point of this game. I am very proud to say I have not seen the helmet yet. That's so bad. You what? I have, I have refused to look at the helmet. I have never looked at any of the stuff sent out about the Shamrock series. Is how annoyed I am. Here's what I'll By this, all the marketing of the Shamrock series. Watch things. Star Wars. When you see Darth Vader come on, now imagine a, a monogram ND on the side of his helmet. That's what their helmets are. <laughs> yeah. Uniforms. Who cares? Not even Tate. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not, even, not even Tate. All right, we'll be back. Tim and I will be back uh, no, on the you, field. You and Pete will be back. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, no. Yes, you're right. right. I'm going to the game. I'm going to the game. Good. That's okay. good. I'm glad. I'll be there. Yeah. I was counting on you being there. Trap game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, trap. I am literally like, limping into the bio. We got to do our, we gotta do our pregame, <laughs> pregame analysis. Where's O'Malley? He's not coming today? <laughs> oh, must be a bad Pittsburgh team. Pittsburgh. All right, we'll be back on Saturday to talk Notre Dame, number five Notre Dame against... 3-3 three three Pittsburgh in Notre Dame Stadium. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.